What is market-driven might be good for the economy, but it could be devastating for the ecology. And without a functioning ecological system, we have nothing, including an economy. Are you wondering how you can learn more about food? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Chakula Podcast, brought to you by the Root to Food Initiative, a show that celebrates authentic Kenyan dishes and serves you hot conversations about food in Kenya from an economic, social, and political lens. Semanasi kwenye social media, at Root to Food on Instagram, at Root to Food on Twitter, and Root to Food on Facebook. And now, here's your host, Felistas Mwalia. Once again, welcome to the Chakula Podcast. Thank you for being part of our podcast community where we talk all matters of food. Today, I'll be joined by Dr. Dino Martins, a Kenyan who has dedicated his life in learning and researching about insects. He's a biologist and he regularly conducts extensive scientific research with a focus on the interactions between insects and plants, mainly between flowers and their pollinators, as well as between ants and plants. He has published widely in scientific natural history and ecological magazines, and is the winner of the eminent awards and prizes, including the 2011 National Geographic Imagine Explorers. Karibu sana, Daktari. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, I'm very excited to join you, and I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us as well. I'm sure we are going to learn a lot on why insects are important in ensuring we are food secure. Dektari, please paint for us a picture on why we need insects. Insects are perhaps one of the most important groups of organisms of our fellow creatures with whom we share the planet. Insects and plants have been around for hundreds of millions of years, whereas humans have only been around for a few million years. And insects are involved in every aspect of life, from things like pollinating our food crops that we enjoy and eat, to recycling nutrients, to helping control populations of each other, other insects, of pests, to making the soil work. You know, every aspect of the world around us is influenced by insects. Of all the different living things, there are about two million species that have been described by scientists. And the vast majority of those, over one million, almost 1.2 million species, are insects. In contrast with mammals, there are only about 5,000 mammal species, about 5,000 reptile and amphibians, about 300,000 different plants. And so the bulk of the diversity, of biodiversity out there in the world are the insects. So every part of our life is impacted by insects from the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, the nutrient cycle, uh, the soil under our feet, insects are playing an important role. Daktari, maybe you could also explain to us more on how they play an important role in our foods and uh, also the soil. Insects are really important in food production and the most direct link we have with insects is through pollination. One in three bites of food is thanks to a pollinator. And if we think about all the food we enjoy here in Kenya, fruits and nuts and vegetables and seeds, oils, all of these are thanks to pollinators. We have, uh, for example, avocados, which are a really important crop. Avocados are pollinated by flies. Coffee, 
which is a really important crop consumed both in Kenya and exported around the world. Coffee is pollinated by many different insects, primarily by bees. And if we go through the list from, you know, macadamia nuts and, and peanuts to the fruits like mangoes and passion fruit, watermelon, to other crops, even crops that we depend on seeds for their propagation, onion seed, carrot seed, all of these are dependent on pollinators. And almost all of the pollinators in Kenya are wild insects. Hundreds and hundreds, many thousands of different species of bees, butterflies, flies, moths, beetles, ants are involved in pollination. When we think about the environment around us, whether we have a, a, a small shamba or we have a small garden, whether we're living in a city or in, in a rural area, insects are very, very important in the soil. Soil is life. You know, without soil, we have no way to survive on this planet. Everything is dependent on soil, our food production, climate control, all the ecosystems, all the wildlife are connected with the soil. And insects are critical for the healthy functioning of soil. Now, soil has nutrients and these nutrients come from different places and they need to move through the system. And so the insects, especially the ants and termites, are really, really important for helping complete the nutrient cycle. When plants grow, they produce a lot of woody tissue, fiber called cellulose. That cannot break down easily. It's very tough, but it has a lot of nutrients and a lot of energy is contained within it. So in order to complete the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle, we need insects like termites. And termites are able to do this because they have evolved a partnership with some microorganisms, protozoa, as well as with fungi. And so the termites use these different partners to help break down the plant material. In so doing, they release nutrients back into the soil. If we did not have termites and ants and other arthropods like millipedes doing this, we would see our ecosystems collapse because there would be no nutrient cycle and no new plant growth would result from you know, healthy soil. So the termites, the ants, we sometimes think of them as annoying because they come and eat some of our buildings and structures, but they're actually really critical for the entire functioning of our ecosystems. We we couldn't survive without. According to the Insect Atlas, a publication by Hendrik Ball Foundation and Friends of Earth, a publication that maps out insect species, indicates that insects are facing massive threats from the current stroke industrial agriculture with its over-reliance on pesticides and practicing of monocultures. From your view, what can be done to change this current reality? The most important thing, I think, is to first recognize the tremendous diversity that we have of insects and of pollinators in Kenya. For example, we work with farmers in the Kerio Valley who are growing mangoes. On a single mango farm, we can find over a thousand different species of pollinators. These are bees and flies and wasps and ants and, and moths and butterflies and beetles and other many other groups of insects, all visiting the mango flowers, all contributing to the pollination of those flowers. Even mosquitoes are pollinators in some cases. And what we need to do is first recognize the diversity. In terms of bees, everyone is familiar with the honeybee because it produces honey, but 
people don't realize that there are over a thousand different bee species in Kenya. And most of those bees are solitary bees. They don't live in colonies like the honeybee. They live as individuals and build their nests in the ground, in, in, wo in wooden holes, or they weave together leaves. And we know almost nothing about them. So the issue we're facing is as agriculture develops, agriculture is the backbone of our economy. And we, we need to invest more in supporting our farmers. And I think one of the big gaps we are facing is a gap in knowledge. We have a lot of traditional knowledge, a lot of awareness about the environment, but we also have very rapidly developing agriculture. And connecting the two is really important. The other part of agricultural development related to insects is that many crops are new crops. You know, uh, crops like avocado and passion fruit are being grown in areas where they were not grown before. But how is it that they then adapt? Well, it's because insects are keyed into these flowers. And even though these are not native to the area, the pollinators come and they interact with the flowers and they provide pollination. Now, many insects are pests. And that is a big part of agriculture and farming is dealing with pests. But the challenge we face is how do we deal with the pests without destroying the very environment that supports us and all other living things? And I see, I see this really as a, a conflict of values and of understanding. We fail to take into account that a, an action right now, which may have a small benefit like using a pesticide, might actually have much bigger costs over a long time and spreading through the ecosystem. And we value the crop right now and the harvest, but we don't ask ourselves about what are the costs and the consequences of the way we farm, the way we use a pesticide. Who's going to pay that price? We're growing avocados for export. We use a pesticide. Okay, those avocados go to markets wherever. But that local community, the pesticides end up in the soil, in the water, in the bodies of children, of the farmers themselves, and their long-term effects. And that cost is borne by the country. No one says, okay, five years from now, we'll be treating many health problems as the result of certain pesticide usage. If we look at the rivers and streams in Kenya, many of them have very high levels of residues, not just from farming and pesticide use, also from industry. So one person can use a pesticide, it might be useful at that point in time, but the effect can spread downstream and it can persist for years, even decades. Some of the chemicals used in pesticides are extremely toxic. They are toxic not just to insects, they are toxic to people, to fish, to livestock, and they can last in some cases for very, very long periods of time. So we really need to reevaluate, work with farmers. How can we have a win-win to change the status quo? We really need to empower farmers with knowledge. And the first step is identifying the problem. Some of the pesticides that are highly toxic have been banned in other countries due to toxicity to the environment or to bees, and they are still being used here in Kenya. 
Absolutely. The issue of pesticides being banned in other countries and being used, distributed and consumed widely in Kenya is a very serious issue. Honestly, if a pesticide is toxic to Americans and has been banned in America, or a pesticide is toxic to the Chinese and is no longer used in China, what business do we have using it in Kenya? And it's extremely irresponsible for us to use pesticides that we know have been demonstrated through sound science to be toxic to people, to bees, and to the environment. Now, all pesticides have some level of toxicity, even the ones that are based on botanical extracts like neem or pyrethrum. Key thing is to work with farmers to empower them with the right knowledge, the right equipment, the right tools, to use pesticides safely, use them effectively, but use them very conservatively because there are many solutions out there that may not necessarily need an immediate reaction with a pesticide. A key part of this is diagnosing the problem. Many plants might be infected with a fungus or with a virus as well as with a pest. And so people might only see the insect and think that's the solution. So not reacting too quickly without information is key. How can we empower farmers, making sure they have the tools to identify what's the problem on their crop, learning to recognize the different pests, understanding the life cycle of those pests, so that if pesticides are used, they're used in limited quantities and more effectively. Now, the, remember, the most interesting thing with insects and pesticides is that insects evolve resistance to pesticides. There is no pesticide in use today where insects have not evolved resistance. So now you end up in an arms race with the insect. If you keep using the pesticide, they become more resistant and you, you end up losing because you have to use more and more pesticides, higher concentrations, more toxic chemicals, and the insects keep winning. So we need to take a step back and approach this with a, a, a mindset that's really centered around how can we understand this system? How can we use tools like integrated pest management, IPM? How can we change how we farm to be complementary with nature rather than fighting nature? And when we need to use chemicals, how can we use them in the most safe, wise and careful way so that we don't end up poisoning the soil and the water and ourselves and our neighbors and other people, communities who live downstream hundreds of miles away. And they believe even future generations. Absolutely. It, it's irresponsible for us to use chemicals today that might affect our children tomorrow. And so how, how we approach this thinking really needs to change. It's been very reactionary. We see a crisis emerging with a pest and we start reacting. What we need to do is work with farmers and young people, with scientists, with students and say, okay, how can we redesign this whole system so that it's an integrated system with information flowing back and forth so that we can recognize problems early and solve them rather than reacting now when they've become a, a, a serious issue with a pest or an invasion of a pest. Because uh, many of these insects have complex life cycles if we understand the life cycle, we can interfere with that or disrupt it before the pest becomes a problem. So most of the pest problems are really problems of farming practice 
And, and if we solve those with innovation and practical solutions, we can actually deal with most pests without having to resort to highly toxic. Yeah, chemicals. I was actually reading somewhere how, is it term, uh, ladybirds, how they help in fighting aphids? That's correct. Ladybirds eat aphids and many insects are actually predators or parasites of their fellow insects. And this is a perfect solution. It's using biological control it does not involve any toxic chemicals and it's more sustainable because if we can set up a system where the biological control can perpetuate itself within the farm, that would be ideal. The other side of this is it's an opportunity. It's a business opportunity. There are a few companies who are raising these insects that are predators or parasites and providing them to farms and farmers, mainly for use in greenhouses. And they're very effective. And it means you don't have to worry about the health and safety of your family, of the farm, of the soil, of the farm workers, and of the people who are consuming the fruits, vegetables, or seeds from that farm. Actually, honey production in Kitui County and Baringo County has gone down following large-scale deaths of bees, and this is linked to the excessive use of pesticides. Dr. Ri, what do you think needs to be done, at least from a county level? That's a very important question. Honey production is really, really essential to many of the dry land areas in Kenya. And communities in Kenya have a long history going back thousands of years with bees and beekeeping and honey harvesting. Today, ironically, Kenya only produces 20% of the honey that we consume. The rest of it is being imported. Even fake honey is being imported and branded in Kenyan supermarkets as honey when it's actually syrup. And this is a tragedy because we could provide not just all the honey that we need, but we could even export honey. Kenyan honey that comes from the drylands is amongst the finest and the best honey in in the world. But sadly, honeybees are declining in some areas because of poor practices. This includes the use of pesticides, which directly kill bees when they go to forage on flowers. But bees might also pick up pesticides in low doses from plants, from flowers, from places they drink water and take them back to their hive. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, we found that there was honey coming from a dry land area that had antibiotics in it and no one could figure out how are these antibiotics getting into the honey it's a very serious issue and we went down there as a group of scientists and we were observing the bees we we couldn't tell this was a remote area you know very wild area and then we saw there was a, a clinic being run by a mission and in that clinic they were dispensing antibiotics and by the clinic was a urinal so that people were using that. And of course, the people who were urinating in that area and the bees were coming to drink because it's a dry area, they're drinking from the moisture and that's how they were picking up the antibiotics and it was ending up in the honey. So that shows you how interconnected everything is. And with pesticides now, you know, for example, there's been a lot of spraying of areas because of the desert locust. That's important to control the locust, but some of those chemicals might end up affecting bees and end up in the honey. So managing how that's done is really important. Using the latest technology, doing it carefully, communicating with people is really crucial. In the drylands right now, the other big threat to bees, charcoal burning, 
and habitat destruction. Uh, some areas you will go to, if you drive down Magadi Road, if you go up to Baringo, if you drive towards, uh, through uh, beyond Savo into Eastern Kenya, into Kitui, you will see charcoal being produced everywhere. Bags of charcoal lining the roadside. And every bag of charcoal destroys, you know, dozens of trees. Each of those trees was supporting bees. You know, so the production of charcoal and also the overgrazing and land degradation is really compromising those habitats uh, for honey production. The fact that insects actually play a major role in ensuring we are food secure, as you have elaborated, what measures have been put in place by the concerned parties to protect insects? I mean the government. County governments should work to understand their habitats, work with scientists, support students to do surveys, understand when plants flower, which which plants bees are using uh, to forage, to produce honey. The other thing is to really empower and train, provide knowledge to beekeepers, support beekeeper associations, but have an integrated approach. As we develop horticulture, ensure that that horticultural development is also taking into account the needs of beekeepers in the same area. Because sometimes we go for one form of development and we forget that there are other systems out there of production. Some of them are traditional, some of them have been around for a long time. So a real integrated approach to development is needed. But on a practical level, I think a, a modest investment with counties in beekeeping, training, setting up centers, empowering youth and women's groups, providing technical skills, uh, providing a, you know, a, a good uh, place for people to bring honey to, ensuring quality control. Kenya could become one of the world's leading honey producers because we have the habitat. We have vast areas that have beautiful trees, acacia trees, for example. Acacia mellifera in northern Kenya and eastern Kenya produces one of the most delicious, fragrant, beautiful honeys. And so if we could invest in those areas, provide seedlings, plant up the different species, restore land and use beekeeping as an economic activity, there's great potential for that to be scaled up. Besides bees, what is the status of other insects and by extent our biodiversity here in Kenya? Kenya is a very blessed country. We are one of the most diverse countries in the world in terms of habitats and diversity. We have millions of species of insects, of plants, of fungi, of other creatures, some of them we, we've not yet even studied, have not even been described by scientists. In some areas, local communities will recognize things around them, but they are still not known to the rest of the world. So there's a huge potential for Kenyan students and scientists to engage in learning about the insects, learning about biodiversity. The other part of Kenyan biodiversity is we we don't realize that, again, everything we do is connected to the world around us. Water that we're drinking in streams, the water that's coming from Nairobi, for example, from the Abadares, without all those streams and the vegetation around them and the insects that are pollinating those plants that, that are lining those streams, there would not be good quality water coming into the city of Nairobi and millions of people would, would suffer. So we need to recognize the connection between biodiversity and intact habitats with our daily lives. 
At the beginning, Doctor, you also mentioned the fact that uh, the insects are declining. Have the concerned parties, I mean the government, put in place measures to protect the insects since they play a major role to ensure we are food secure? The insects are so important as part of our biodiversity and yet most of our policies around wildlife are focused on big animals, on elephants, on lions. There's almost nothing in place for insects. There is a policy that has been developed by the government for honeybees and beekeeping, but really we, we tend to overlook insects. We tend not to appreciate how important they are, their intrinsic value, their actual economic value. There's very little inclusion of them in, you know, in the policy arena. How much money does KWS spend on elephants versus on butterflies? Yet the value for most Kenyans in terms of ecosystem services, pollination, food, nutrition, food security from those groups of insects like bees and butterflies, I would argue is far, far higher than that provided by elephants, which are also very important. But we spend most of our resources on the big animals because we see them as a value for tourism. And we forget that our responsibility is not just to the big animals, it's to all of biodiversity, all of life. We really need to recenter our value system on nature. And I would love to see the Kenyan government and all government agencies working on understanding that value. And it's not just economic value. That's a small part of it, an important part of it, but it's all those other things that we haven't valued. And if we lost ecosystem services, if we had to pay for pollination, it would put most farmers out of business and we would starve. Right now, that's a free service being provided by insects, but we are not valuing it. If we had to pay to restore our soil, it would cost millions even to restore just a small one acre plot. But right now we get it for free, we don't value it. If we had to pay for clean water and the whole system around it, what we pay for water now is so little compared to the ecosystem value of water. Without water, there's no life. And so can, how would we survive if we had to recreate that whole system through engineering, whereas Mother Nature has already engineered it for us. So we should really center our value system on understanding that without nature, there is no Kenya, there's no food, there's no water, there's no soil, and we just couldn't survive. Now, we need to really get, guide those government agencies and county governments to value those ecosystems, to take active measures to protect them, because we're often looking at short-term gains and we are always talking about the economy, which is important. But beyond the economy right now, what is market-driven might be good for the economy, but it could be devastating for the ecology. And without a functioning ecological system, we have nothing, including an economy. So I'd really say that we need to work on understanding these ecosystems and then ensure that we elect leaders and that we lobby government and we take responsibility as well. I would say everyone can make a difference in conserving insects, starting with your own home, your own garden, your own 
chamba. We can you can plant plants that attract bees that support butterflies. You can choose to use pesticides carefully or stop using them. Uh, you can plant a tree. You know you can make sure you buy food from local farmers. Support your local farmers. That will make a big difference. Actually, there's very little research done around insects, and I saw that you penned a book about insects called Insects of East Africa. What was the motivation behind this and where can our listeners get the copies or access the book? When I was growing up in Eldoret in Western Kenya, way back in the 90s and I was in school in Hill School and Wasingishu Secondary School. I loved insects back then and I used to watch them around the school and I collected them and I was part of the young farmers club but the biggest frustration was you couldn't identify them because there were so many and yet there was no information available to me as a young student back then to identify them so the main reason I did I produced the book the insects of East Africa was so that I want people to recognize insects it's a small book uh, it's uh, a simple book it's the first book on east african insects but it showcases all the different diversity it doesn't tell us about all the species because there's no way i could fit that in one book uh, in addition to that i actually have produced a book on butterflies of east africa and we have a book on pollinators which can be downloaded from the web the insect and butterfly books are available from nature kenya which is a scientific society based at the museum in nairobi and i've really worked hard to make these books user friendly easily accessible and affordable so that people can access them wherever they are thank you so much daktari very interesting insights from you and one thing that i've picked is unless all insects are protected food and livelihood security and critical biodiversity are in danger asante sana Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to the podcast all through till the end. If you want to find out more about insects, I'll link it below. You can also check out our website roottofood.org for more information. I'll put the link in the show notes below. You can find us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcast at Chakula Podcast. Like, share, rate, review and give us a comment. Feel free to write to us on info@roottofood.org. Until next time, thank you.